It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and welcome into the virtual bible study we're glad you're a part of it this is the virtual bible study for thursday may 28th 2009 and we're live on your computer tonight thank you for making us live on your computer we look forward to hearing from you. The contact information is scrolling across your screen, or you can give us an email, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com or call us at 877-381-4567. My father, Greg Gwynn, is with me tonight. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Welcome back. Thank you. We look forward to a good study tonight, and hope we'll get some people to participate with us. Yes, and we are looking forward to your participation tonight. We have an important study before we get to that, Jacob, I got an update from a couple of weeks ago. Let's, let's before we introduce our subject for tonight. You remember a couple of weeks ago we inter- interviewed Bo Perrin, uh, who has been following the hate crimes legislation in the in the House and the Senate in Washington, and uh, he he sent an update, and apparently there's a a, a letter writing campaign to uh, to our senators, and and they're apparently getting some some they're putting some drag on it they're slowing it down because apparently they're getting pretty much pretty much overwhelmed with letters if you missed the program last uh two weeks ago you can yeah. catch it in our archives go to the virtualbiblestudy.com click on the archive link right. and you can catch that program uh but bo sent this update uh and asked us if we might like to mention it to people because we got several people indicating that they were very concerned about that when we had him on the program it says, uh, here's the update he sends. At this very moment, American Lord's Church are at a crossroads, one I believe that many Christians are either ignoring or unaware of. House Bill 1913 version of the hate crimes bill has already passed the House. Uh, its cousin, Senate Bill 909, was supposed to fly through the Senate almost unabatedly, yet opposition is mounting against it, and there are signs that it may be stalling. These bills are insidious. The World Net Daily Report quoted Representative Gomert of Texas is saying, uh, um, Gomert warned Porter during the interview that even her introduction of him and references to the different sexual orientations could be restricted if the plan becomes law. You can't talk like that once this becomes law. He said these bills criminalize constitutionally protected speech for merely criticizing sexual preferences, whether they induce anyone to harm anybody else. This bill was supposed to sail through the Senate. It appears to be stalling. The World Net Daily began a letter campaign that I'm encouraging every Christian to consider to join. Uh, there's a fee. We'll leave that up to you. World Net Daily is a pretty well-known Internet site. You can go to that, and you can go there, uh, according to this update, and uh, participate in a letter-writing campaign to your senators. It's, again, it's Senate Bill 909. Apparently, the Senate is listening Uh and so apparently the action of sending some letters is being effective. That might be something worth getting involved in. We'll leave that up to our listeners. We're not a political action committee here, but that is a moral issue. That's not a political issue, Jacob. And if if we can be a voice of reason and an influence for good, uh, we'll, we'll suggest that maybe Christians want to get involved in that. So Bo asked us if we would mention that update on our program. We're glad to do so. That is a, a, a very troubling development to think that they would pass a law in which we couldn't even express our religious faith in re, in relationship to a significant moral issue. Thank you for that debate, Bo. And uh, we will remind our listeners that we don't hate anyone. And if someone was to express hate towards any person, we would want that to be stopped. But we're not expressing hate. Uh, we, but that bill is redefining what that well, means. Yeah, right. Exactly. So we uh, thank you. Thanks, Bo, for that update. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. On to the topic of discussion for tonight, Dad. Yeah, earlier today to our update list, we always remind you, if you're a new listener uh, or if you happen to be listening in the archives and you'd like to get our weekly updates about topics for discussion, 
you can get on that update list by simply sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com, put in the subject line, add me to the list, and we will be glad to do that. Um, and earlier today, to our update list, and just just this evening, to our Twitter followers, we sent these. You were late tonight on the Twitter. A little, little late getting the update to the Twitterers, but we did. And you can follow us on Twitter, too, by the way, and the information about that is on the website. But here are the questions. We got First of all, here's, here's a, a short email that came to us from somebody who had listened to one of our programs, Jacob. This listener said, from what you said, on, a, and he references a past program that we did on instrumental music back in January of 2006. So that was over three years ago. Uh, this fellow was listening to that archived program on instrumental music. He said, from what you said, I gathered that we can't look to the Old Testament for authority because it's no longer binding. Doesn't Matthew 5, 17 through 19, say that the law is still in effect? Would you please explain? In other words, we had made a point, we'll be making the point again in our program tonight, that we we can't go to the Old Testament for authority for instrumental music. And this listener had a question about Matthew 5. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 5, 17 through 19. And he, he he, he's interpreting that to mean that the Old Testament is still in effect. And therefore, we could use it for our authority today. We want to talk about that. So what we suggested to discuss is, first of all, the Old Testament, is it still in force? Should we still be using the Old Testament law as our religious authority today? And so here's question one. Is the Old Testament law still in effect? Yes or no? Why or why not? Number two, specifically explain Matthew 5, 17 through 19 that our listener uh, questioned us about. Uh, Matthew 5, 17 through 19, does that passage teach that the Old Testament law is still in force? We'll talk about it specifically. So we want to talk about the Old Testament. Is it still in force? That's an important question. A lot of people don't understand that, Jacob, about the division of the Old Testament, New Testament, what law we serve under, and so forth. Okay. So that's a worthy subject right there in itself. But then we want to go to the instrumental music question specifically. And so we ask, can we, question number three, can we use the Old Testament to justify the use of instruments of music in our worship? And number four, is instrumental music authorized in our worship day? Yes or no, why or why not? All right. So those are our questions. Really basic, two basic subjects. Old Testament law, is it in force? Instrumental music, is it authorized? They're two different subjects, but they're connected. Because uh, that always comes up. When yeah. the instrumental music question comes up, it's always mentioned that in the Old Testament, we read about the use of instrumental music. Why can't we use that as our authority to do the same today? All right. The contact information is questions at collegeu.com or 877-381-4567. Now, not many of our listeners tonight have commented on those questions. And if you're in that boat, you can pick up the phone right now. and We'd, love to, inter- we'd love to interview somebody on this question, whether they whether they think the Old Testament is or is not in effect. We don't care. We'd like to interview you. Or you can just call in and say, i got a pulse and I'm listening tonight. Yeah, yeah, we'd like to hear from you on that. Yeah. And uh, you can also join in on the chat room. If you're joining us from Ustream.tv, you see the chat room on the right-hand side of your video screen tonight. If you're joining us from our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeu.com, the the information to get to the chat room is on the bottom of your screen. Click on uh, the URL that you see on the bottom of your screen, and it'll take you to our show page, and you can join in with other listeners in the chat room tonight, so we hope you'll take advantage of that. Jacob, this this may be a bit of a review topic to a lot of Christians, but it's worth reviewing it, and especially for those of us who are members of the Church of Christ, we rather we stand rather uniquely in the religious world in regards to the fact that we don't use instrumental music. And very often, when people find out that we're a member of the Church of Christ, one of the first questions that will come up is, "Why don't you use instrumental music? Why don't you have an organ or piano in your church services?" And so if you're a member of the Church of Christ, you're going to be asked that question, and you need to be prepared to answer it. So, If you're not, you may have questions about that. And if, yeah, if you're not a member of the Church of Christ, you may wonder why we take that stand. And so. we're not the new ones on the block. Uh, this instrumental music is a new addition, and history proves that it is something that has come along since the first century that is not deniable. Uh, it is a yeah. historical fact that first century churches did not use instrumental music, and so we'll talk about that as we get into the program. Yeah, in fact, that might be a good place to start. You know, I do think you're right, Jacob, that 
most people are under the assumption that it has always been so that churches used instrumental music, that everybody did. And so, as you said, people react as though we've taken some bizarre, unusual stance on this question when we say we shouldn't do it. What rock did you crawl out of un- uh, from under to think that we shouldn't have instrumental yeah. music? But let's look at some of the historical quotes about instrumental music. Uh, first of all, it says uh, uh, in a quote from a man named Dickinson, quoted by Curfees, uh in a book entitled Instrumental Music and in Worship, he says, quote, We know that instruments performed an important function in the Hebrew temple service and in the ceremonies of the Greeks. At this point, however, a break was made with all previous practice, and although the lyre and flute were sometimes employed by the Greek converts, as a general rule, the use of instruments in worship were condemned. Many of the fathers, speaking of religious song, make no mention of instruments. Others, like Clement of Alexandria and St. Chrysostom, refer to them only to denounce them. So way back, I mean way back in the history of Christianity, uh, we find experts in agreement that instruments were not used when they were when when the the subject did come up, they were pretty broadly condemned. Uh, a man named Qualbin in a history of the Christian Church writes, "Singing formed an essential part of the Christian worship, but it was in unison and without musical accompaniment." Klingman in Church History. For busy people, writes the earliest reference to the use of the flute and the harp, in the, is to the use of the flute and harp in the second century. At Alexandria, Clement forbade the use of the flute on the ground that it was too worldly, and substituted the harp. Ambrose is said to have introduced instrumental music in the West in the fourth century. So we're talking two hundred years after fourth century is a long time ago. But up to four hundred years after the church started. Started fourth century is a long time ago, but it's too recent. We want okay. to go all the way back to the first century, right? Yeah, but so, we're still we're talking about two hundred or four hundred years yeah. after the church was established. Yeah, uh, Decker in Why I Left wrote, Pope Vitalian is related to have introduced organs into some of the churches in Southern Europe about A.D. six seventy, but the only trustworthy account is one sent as a present by the Greek Emperor Constantine Capranzus or Capranzmus. To Pepin, king of the Franks, in 775. They were talking 700 years in, in a lot of places before the entrance. So they were they were using only vocal music for six or 700 years. Yeah. Howard, Howard writes in What is the Church of Christ, quote, in the Greek church, the organ never came into use. And that's still a case in Greek Orthodox churches. But he goes on to say, but after the 8th century, it became common in the Latin church, not, however, without opposition from the side of the monks. So again, 700, 800 years after the beginning of Christianity, and it was fought. It was, it was a controversial subject. But here's the quote that I've used before, Jacob, and I find it most interesting because this applies to our own national history. In uh, a man named Posey writing the, uh, a book entitled The Baptist Church in the Lower Mississippi Valley. So Baptist churches in the Lower Mississippi Valley. He's talking about Baptist churches in America. He's talking about Baptist churches Less than 200 years ago. Okay. And here's what he says. For years, the Baptists fought the introduction of instrumental music into the churches. Installation of the organ brought serious difficulties in many churches. Now, if you were to interview most Baptists today and ask, have there always been instruments of music in churches? I'm convinced that almost every Baptist that you would question would say, well, sure, of course, we've always had instrumental music. The fact of the matter is that Baptist churches right here in America less than 200 years ago had a big fight when they were introduced. It was a new thing. It was an innovation. And so I think it's really important to note that all historical reference proves that in the earliest church, in the beginning of Christianity, the church that you read about in the New Testament, they did not use instrumental music. And you can find historical references to the introduction of instrumental music into the worship Varying two, four, seven, eight, eighteen hundred years later, they were fighting over the introduction of the of the instrument. Now, history does not prove anything, and we'll be the first to admit that. And these churches maybe didn't have instrumental music just because they couldn't find anybody to play them, or they didn't like them, or couldn't afford them. Yeah, 
But we're going to go to the scriptures and see what the scriptures say as we get into the program tonight. We'd like to hear from you at 877 yeah, Remember those questions. We're going to get here real real quickly when we get back from this break, Jake. We're going to get into the question of the Old Testament. We want to talk about that first because that question is going to be brought into the instrumental music question here in just a minute as well. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Or join in on the chat room. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue after these important messages. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in the study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. This is Stephen Nicholson, a member of the College View Church of Christ, and I want to invite you to be a regular participant on the virtual Bible study. Your input by way of emails and phone calls are always welcome during the live program. We're also open to your suggestions about possible topics for discussion on upcoming editions of the program. We'd love to hear from you anytime. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. If you're just joining us on the program, we're talking about the Old Testament and instrumental music. These questions are related, but they are different, and so we'll talk about them both with your help tonight. We look forward to hearing from you on the phone or over email tonight. The contact information is scrolling on your screen. If you're watching our video feed tonight, if you're listening to our audio, you can get us a hold of us at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We talked about the fact that uh, instrumental music is a new thing historically, documented fact that the first century church and churches after that time did not have instrumental music in their worship. That was instituted some hundred years later, multiple hundreds of years later, and uh, it, is an, it is a relatively new thing. Even in America, in Baptist churches, the quote you referenced, added, that's uh, within the last couple hundred years. Yeah, exactly right. But the reason why we're tying these two subjects together, Old Testament and instrumental music, is we want, to, we want to do away with one question or challenge that often comes up, Jacob, and that has to do with the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we read reference to instruments of music. And that's that's undeniable. That's absolutely true. Nobody says otherwise. In the Old Testament, there were instruments of music. Now, the, the, the question that's raised is, can we use that as authority for us to do the same? Could we go back there and say, that's what they did? Why can't we do what they did in worshiping God? Well, throughout time, God has given instruction to people that was limited in its scope. We go back to the instruction to Adam to tend the garden. That was a reference to Adam and a specific instruction to him. It's not pertinent to us today. In in Genesis chapter 6, God gave instruction to Noah to build an ark. That was an instruction that was pertinent to him. We're not building arks today, although it's been a rainy spring. We might want to build a smaller boat, but the command is not to us to build an ark. We go out throughout history, we see that God gave instruction to certain people in certain periods of time. We believe the Old Testament was one of those instructions. He gave uh, The Old Testament contains the law that God gave by Moses on Mount Sinai to the children of Israel. Part of the Old Testament is, as some of it was before the, 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 the law right. of Moses. The, so, the, but, but, but we believe all of the Old Testament is uh, in that, disp- that dispensation that's passed. That's right. Actually, Moses... If you want just a general time frame, Moses was about 1,500 years before Jesus or thereabouts. And so at about 1,500 years before Jesus, God had already been dealing with people before that, as you said, Jacob. And the, and the Old Testament records some, not all, but some of the, God's dealings with various individuals. The Old Testament primarily is, is a history of the descendants of Abraham. we got Adam through Abraham, and then we've got Abraham's family because in Genesis chapter 12, God gave special promises to Abraham, and then the rest of the Old Testament sort of traces how God worked with the descendants of Abraham to bring about his promises that he'd made to Abraham. 
But we, we have sort of a specific history of, of when we get to Moses, uh, God gave a written law. First time there'd been a written law. Prior to that, there'd always been an oral law, but we call it sometimes the law of Moses. God gave it to Moses when Moses went up on Mount Sinai as the children of Israel were coming out of Egyptian captivity and bondage, and God gave that law. That law contained a whole lot of instructions. Some of those instructions we should be glad that we are not obligated to keep. For instance, some of the instructions of the Old Testament law involved animal sacrifice. They, uh, some of those Old Testament instructions involved dietary restrictions and so forth. Now, the question that we would ask to people who want to go back and pick up something like instrumental music from the Old Testament time period is, well, if we're going to go back and pick up part of that, how do we know what parts to pick up and what parts are not obligated if we're going to use that to justify instrumental music, should we also be making animal sacrifices? Should we also not be eating pork or catfish, which would have been forbidden under the law of Moses? Observing some of the feast, uh, uh, we recently considered uh, in a study that I was involved in, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Do we have to, one week out of a year, get rid of all of the leavening, leavening agents out of our home and eat only unleavened bread? There were lots of things in the Old Testament that have been done away, Dad. Now, that's our thinking on the subject, but what do the Scriptures say? Has the Old Testament really been taken out of the way? I, uh, those who have studied with me in the past know that my favorite passage on that question is Colossians 2, verses 14 through 16, where Paul says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man, therefore, judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. So Paul says there that there were some ordinances that were nailed to the cross of Jesus. And as a result of that, then we are not obligated. We cannot be judged or held accountable for keeping certain laws. And he mentions them, and they were the laws of the of the. The, he includes the, 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 some of the ordinances of the law of Moses. And so it's very clear that that was what was nailed to the cross of Jesus. Certainly so. Paul references this back a couple chapters in Galatians, chapter 3, verse 22. But the Scripture hath concluded all their sin, that the promise of faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, for you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. So it calls the law schoolmaster and says we're not under it that. It was a temporary thing to set the stage, get everything ready for Christ to come, and now that he's come, that has been done away. All right. Got some good comments that have come in from our friend Steve up in Kentucky who writes, uh, the Old Testament law, that given... At Mount Sinai, the law of Moses is no longer in effect. In fact, that's why it's called old. Hebrews 8.13 says that whatever is old or obsolete is ready to vanish away. That means that at the time God through Jeremiah spoke of a new covenant, Hebrews 8.8, Jeremiah 31.31-34, the old one was on its way to obsolescence. Christ took it out of the way and established a new. Uh, The law was given to one nation, the Israelites. We are not of that nation, would never have been under that law unless it were by voluntary choice as proselytes. Paul often draws that distinction in writing about the law of Moses. Ephesians 2.17, you Gentiles who were far off. Galatians 3.23, we Jews were kept under guard by the law. God made it possible for anyone anywhere to practice the old covenant. God made it impossible. Let me get that right. God made it impossible for anyone anywhere to practice the old covenant today. There is no tabernacle, no altar, and no priesthood. Unless someone can establish himself as a direct descendant of Aaron, no man will ever have the credentials to offer any of the animal sacrifices prescribed through Moses. The means of establishing lineage were destroyed in 70 AD with the destruction of Jerusalem. No sacrifice, no priesthood means no coming to God the law of Moses is merely doctrine is not merely doctrinally removed; it is absolutely removed. Good comments, Steve. All right, thank you, Steve, for those comments. You know, this was an issue in the first century church. 
Uh, some of the uh, Jews did not want to give up the Old Testament law, and, and we see numerous passages that come. And, and among Christian Jews, there were some who who were trying to bind to Christians, and especially to Gentile converts of Christianity, they were trying to bind certain parts of the law of Moses. Galatians chapter five verse four: As many of you justify the law, you're fallen from grace. So this was a problem. In, Re- in Romans chapter seven, Paul makes a point uh, referencing us being married to covenants. In Romans chapter one verse seven, he's or chapter seven verse one: Know ye not, brethren? For I speak to them that know the law: Have the law hath dominion over man as long as he liveth? For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law, so she is no adulteress, so she be married to another man. All right, Paul's talking about marriage, physical marriage, but now he makes the point in verse 4 of chapter 7, Wherefore, my brethren, you are also become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. We can't be under the Old Testament law and be under Christ. We'd be committing spiritual adultery, is what Paul says there in Romans chapter 7. And if you stop to think about it, Jacob, trying to combine those two systems would be absolutely confusing. because the, the, Impossible. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's the reason why some people are confused, because they don't make this distinction that's clearly taught in the Scriptures and so they're trying to go back and get part of the Old Testament and trying to combine part of the New Testament. And those two systems are, are, are not harmonious. They, they teach different things. Uh, for instance, as we were reading Colossians 2.16, we're not obligated to keep the Sabbath day. But the Old Testament definitely says that the Jews were to keep the Sabbath and not violate it. Well, how do we harmonize those? There's no way to harmonize them if both laws are still in effect today. So uh, I think that this is a huge problem in a lot of people's minds, and it's important to get this understood, that the Old Testament is abolished. Now, now, okay, go, go, ahead. go ahead. I don't want to interrupt your thought, but I want to, we, we, we want to also express that we're not admonishing people to rip out the Old Testaments out of their Bible. Our Bibles that we have tonight, Dad, are thick. That's because the Old Testament is in them, and we think it needs to stay there because it is extremely valuable to us as Christians. Yeah, I think that might be something worth commenting about. You know, somebody says, well, if that's what you believe about the Old Testament, why do you even bother to study it or read it? And and in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul goes into some detail about the examples from the Old Testament, beginning of verse 1. I won't read all that. But he says concerning these Old Testament examples, which he had just referenced in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11 now all these things happen to them for examples and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come there's plenty of learning there we're to learn from those examples we learn about god the nature of god how god deals with people we learn lots about uh the history that it brought the world to the time of christ and the and the preaching of the gospel there's just a lot of necessary information it's 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 really true that it would be next to impossible to understand at least certain parts of the New Testament if we didn't have some working knowledge of the Old Testament. It's very important to study the Old Testament. It's from God. It's inspired. It's from God. But it is not a law in force today. But it is the inspired Word of God, and it is infallible, and we need to understand that, and it is extremely valuable for us, but it is not our binding law today. All right. Now, we're ready to go to a break here, but, Jacob, let me read Matthew 5. This was the, this was the passage that the fellow asked about. Matthew 5, beginning verse 17. He says, doesn't Matthew 5, 17 through 19 say that the law is still in effect? Well, here's what it says. Jesus is the speaker. He says, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say to you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least commandments and teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That's what we want to comment about. Let's go to our break, Jacob, and when we get back, let's deal with that, leading into this question of uh, the instrumental music then based upon Old Testament consideration. Okay, this week's bullet point is coming up next, and we'll continue the discussion right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Do you ever feel like the things that you do don't amount to much? Do you think that you aren't making much difference in this world? Do you get discouraged and wonder, what's the use? 
A familiar incident from the life of Jesus might help. John records the account of Jesus cleansing the temple of the money changers in his chapter 2. This was obviously very early in the public ministry of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell about Jesus cleansing the temple, but in the last chapters of their gospel, just before Jesus was crucified. Is there a contradiction here? No. It seems clear that Jesus did this job twice. Armed with this understanding, we might ask, what's the use? He cleansed the temple once and the money changers just came right back. We might be tempted to think, why bother? The first answer to this question is, you do what's right because it is right. No matter how little result you might see from your effort, you must keep on doing what is right. Jesus understood this, and so must we. Also, we notice that this work of cleansing the temple did have a positive influence, if not on the money changers, at least on the disciples of Jesus. For it says in John chapter 2, verse 17, his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. They were there. They saw this and were impressed by it. When we stand up for what is right, others will see it, and our example will have a positive effect on some. Finally, we challenge the whole notion that doing right doesn't do any good. In the case of Jesus, cleansing the temple did do good in the near term. The temple was free, at least for a time, of the corrupt money changers. Yes, it had to be done again later, but for that moment, it helped. When we do good, it also helps. We should never be weary in well-doing, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, but rather be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Rick Harris, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. I hope you'll join me and many others in this weekly Internet Bible study group. Be sure to listen every Thursday night. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight as we talk about the Old Testament and instrumental music. We look forward to hearing from you. Give us a call or send us an email. Join in on the discussion now. So we talk about the Old Testament law, and Jesus said that the Old Testament law would not pass away till all was fulfilled. Right, Matthew five seventeen through nineteen. We just read it. We won't read it again, but but uh, he said especially, "I am not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it." Verily, I say to you, till heaven uh, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. There's an interesting point about that, by the way. Jesus said, "Not one jot or one tittle." The Greek word, I believe, for jot is iota. So Jesus that, that, said what we would say today and use the same word. He said, not one iota is going to pass. Not even a little bit of it. That's right. We got a couple of good comments that really address this in the chat room. Uh, a chatter uh, uh, who frequently joins our chat room with the name Bismarck writes that passage, Matthew five seventeen through 19, unfortunately does not say that the old law is in effect. Jesus fulfilled the law. Consider all fulfilled prophecies. The first clause of verse 18 seems to say the old law will pass away, but then it says, until all be fulfilled, which is a reference back to verse 17, in which Jesus says he would fulfill the old law, finish it, cause its purpose to be achieved. I think that's exactly the right explanation of that. In other words, Jesus, he didn't say the old law will never pass. He said it will never pass until it is fulfilled, until it has served its full purpose. And in verse uh, 17, Jesus says that he was here to fulfill it. So yeah. did Jesus do what he said he was going to do or not? Exactly right. So that that's the, that is the explanation of that passage. It's an important passage, but uh, but it doesn't teach the old law is still in effect. Uh Steve writes the law certainly the the law was certainly in effect for Jews only at the time Jesus spoke these words to Jews in his sermon on the mount. His words till all fulfilled imply a time when it would pass. They were to observe it from the heart to the letter until he fulfilled the law, bringing about what God intended to accomplish with it. Quote, for Christ is the end of the law, meaning the goal of the law that God was working toward. That's his comment. So Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Romans 10 verse 4. Uh, and he says, by the way, this Steve, he identifies himself here, and I, I knew that from, from his email address, but here he mentions he, he's going to be here in June, Jacob, speaking in our Vacation Bible School, June 15th through 19th. Okay. And he says, for more on this, tell everybody to come to College View VBS on June 15th. So he's going to talk about it that night. So uh, there's a little heads up. Well, we need to start advertising that. Yeah, that starts to, that's two, two weeks. weeks two weeks from this coming Monday. 
Okay. So, uh, yeah, and Steve, Steve Walker, we'll give his full name, Steve Walker from Sewanee, Kentucky, uh, one of the preachers that we have fellowship with there and help support him financially in his preaching work is going to come here. He's never been to College View before, and uh, our own members will get a chance to meet him, and uh, he's going to preach to us that week. Uh, he's, a, he's an old friend. We've been knowing him for years. Jacob, you knew him when you were a little boy. I did. Yeah. I did. All right. So uh, I think Steve is right, though. Back to his comment here. The, 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 the key word there, till all is fulfilled. The law was not going to pass till, until. And what, that's, what that means then is when it was fulfilled, then it was the, the, the idea that it wouldn't be taken out of the way uh, doesn't apply anymore. It wouldn't be taken out of the way. It would not pass until everything was fulfilled. In other words, it served its full purpose. And when everything was fulfilled, it would pass away. That's exactly right. That's just standard English there that we, yeah. we, in logic. So we have to conclude that if Jesus did what he said he was going to do, the Old Testament law is no longer in effect, certainly still valid for our a, instruction, right. but not binding on us for law. And as I said again, I think a lot of people confuse that, and and sadly so. That we ought to be grateful. We have we have a more perfect law in the book of Hebrews. It's contrasted that way. Uh, in uh, the Hebrew writer says that the old law was imperfect or incapable of of doing everything that it needed. In Hebrews chapter eight, it says verse seven: For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Uh, there he, the Hebrew writer is quoting Jeremiah's prophecy in Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah had prophesied of this, and the Hebrew writer says, It's now come to pass. All right. So I believe that deals – I think that answers the question that our emailer asked, Jacob, and and it really covers the first couple questions that we suggested to our update list today. Is the Old Testament law still in effect? I think clearly no. And how would you explain Matthew five seventeen through 19? Uh, and specifically, does it teach that the Old Testament law is still in effect? And we just dealt with that. So now let's take the third question. Can we use the Old Testament to justify the use of instruments of music in our worship? The argument goes like this. They used them in the Old Testament, which we cannot deny. Wouldn't try to deny it. They used instrumental music to worship God in the Old Testament. So can we use it in the New Testament? We've talked about the fact that the, New Te- the Old Testament is no longer binding on us today. And we also mentioned Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, where some people were going back to the Old Testament to say, well... We did this in the Old Testament, specifically referencing circumcision. We did this in the Old Testament, and God liked it then, so we need to be doing it now. And Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, uh, uh, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever you are justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. So you can't say, well, we did it in the Old Testament, so we should do it today. There's our justification for doing what we're doing. He says if you're doing that, you're fallen from grace. That's right. Uh and so we we would say you can't go back there and pick and choose the parts of the Old Testament law that you like. That's it's, it's all been abolished. We're, we're serving on the New Testament law of Christ. We've got to find authority for our religious practices today in the law of Christ. Uh, we're not making animal sacrifices. We're not observing the dietary laws of the Old Testament. We're not. We're not worshiping on Saturday. And so and we're grateful for all those changes. We live under a better covenant with better promises. And so we we're not we're not going back there to pick up anything. Uh, we're following the New Testament law of Christ. We want to hear from you at eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven questions at collegeview dot com. Let me read a little more from Steve's post. Uh, he says the new covenant is completely different than the old, and worship under it is of a different nature. There is nothing in the worship at the Jewish temple which is hinted in the New Testament as being part of the assembly of believers in Christ. There are no offerings by fire, no incense, no ceremonial lampstand, no priestly robes, and no Ark of the Covenant. There is a table, but it is a memorial supper, not a parallel to the table of showbread. 
Had our Lord desired that we have any such in the church, there would be explicit or implicit reference to them in the books of the New Testament. There are no such references. The same is true regarding mechanical instruments. They were plainly acceptable under the old fleshly covenant, but have no place under the new. Steve makes a good point there. People under the Old Testament law knew that God wanted them to use instrumental music in worship to him. He was able to express to them his desire for that kind of worship. If he wanted that from us today, it would not have been hard for him to convey the message to us that we needed to be using that in our worship. Yeah, exactly right. Here's a good quote from John Calvin. This is an old quote. This is hundreds of years old. John Calvin, as many will remember, was an early reformer. He was wrong on lots of topics, but here's what he said about instrumental. He was he was the founder of lots of modern denominational practice. He's especially tied to uh, the Presbyterian Church, but a lot of people follow the tenets of Calvinism. We've it, talked about it, that on the virtual Bible. In part or in whole. In part or whole. We've yeah. talked about that in the virtual Bible study. But here's what he said about musical instruments. I think a lot of denominational folks would be surprised to hear John Calvin on instrumental music. He said, musical instruments in the celebration of praises to God would be no more suitable than the burning of incense, the lighting of lamps, and the restoration of other shadows of the law. Men who are fond of outward pomp may delight in the noise, but the simplicity which God recommends to us by the apostles is far more pleasing. So Calvin made the point we're making. He said, are you going to go back and get the other elements of the law? Are you going to go back and try to reestablish the, the, the tabernacle or temple worship with your lamp stands and your burning of incense and so forth? He said, no, there's no place for that. All right. Martin Luther said an organ in the worship of God is an incense of Baal. Okay, in other words, a sign of idolatry, he thought. Yeah. Uh, John Wesley wrote, I have no – this is the one that has been quoted again and again, and it's humorous but makes the point – John Wesley, of course, uh, uh, associated with the Methodist Church today, one of the early founders of that a long time ago, he said, I have no objection to instruments of music in our chapels, provided they are neither seen nor heard. In other words, it says you can put them there, but keep them, keep them hidden and don't play them. Yeah. Uh, and then Charles Spurgeon, who was a famous English Baptist preacher, said, I'd as soon pray to God with machinery as to sing to God with machinery. And that just sort of illustrates the point we were making earlier, Jacob. A lot of people think that our objection to instrumental music is a new thing. Actually, it's a historic position uh, that's been held by lots of people for a long time. And those who openly accept instruments of music are the newcomers to the scene. Yeah. And back to the one you referenced from John Calvin. He says he agrees with our interpretation that we're no longer under the Old Testament law. And if you go back for instrumental music, you've got to go back for all the other things that they did under the Old Testament law, which people are unwilling to do today. Exactly right. All right. We've got, we got one more question, Jacob, that we want to address, and we can do this as we come back from our final break. But the, the fourth and final question to our update group was, is simple question, is instrumental music authorized in our worship today, yes or no? If you haven't gotten in uh, an email yet, uh, we'd like to hear from you on that question. If you are a member of the Church of Christ, people are going to question you as to why you don't use instrumental music. If you are a member of a group that that uses instruments of music, either way, you need to be ready to defend your point of view. We'd be we'd love to hear from you. Is it authorized or not? Let the number to call is 877-381-4567 and that phone line is open now. We would love for you to call if you agree or even if you disagree, we will not be ugly. We want to hear your point of view, and hopefully you can back up your point of view with Scripture. We'd like to hear from you at 877-381-4567, or send us an email, questions at collegeview.com. Take this time during the break to get your thoughts together and join in on the discussion. The program continues right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Hi. My name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College View Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow 
follow them all. Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to him. Here at the College View Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. I'm Arthur Haynes from Kaleoka, Tennessee, and one of my greatest highlights of the week is to listen to the virtual Bible study. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. Welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. Take a minute to join in on the discussion as we go to the top of the hour, talking about instrumental music, and we want to know from the scriptures, are they authorized? If they're authorized, we, we, we want to do it. We want to have instrumental music in our worship, if, if it's authorized. Hey, if it was up to me, if it was my preference... I'd have them. I like them. I like the sound of it. I've got a keyboard at home that would plug right into the PA system, and we would be ready to go on. We could be ready to go on Sunday as early as this Sunday. Yes, uh, it's not a. It's not a matter of personal preference. It's a matter of can we see in the scriptures that it's authorized? Because we walk by faith and not by sight. And if it's not of faith, it's of sin. Romans fourteen tells us that. And so faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter ten. So if we can't read about it in the scriptures from the New Testament, we can't do it by faith. Therefore, it's a sin. There you go. Uh, now, I think we've established, Jacob, we've got to go to the New Testament. The Old Testament's not going to work. We're going to have to go to the New Testament. So what do we hear about music in the New Testament? You know, by the way, just by point of clarification, people say, you members of the Church of Christ don't believe in music, do you? Well, we do believe in music. There's two kinds of music. There's vocal music. There's instrumental music. We believe in vocal music. There is music in our worship. The Bible, the New Testament instructs for us to use music in our worship. But all references to vocal music or singing, there are eight references in the New Testament to music. I'm going to read them real quickly just just to get them out there. There's eight of them. And notice everyone is referenced to singing. Matthew twenty six thirty, when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Acts sixteen twenty five, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God. Romans fifteen nine, as it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. First Corinthians fourteen fifteen, I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. Ephesians five nineteen, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Colossians 3.16, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Hebrews 2.12, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church, I will sing praise to thee. James 5.13, is any among you merry? Let him sing psalms. Now, reemphasize what you said there. This is every reference to worship of God with music in the New Testament. That's it. That's every reference that we got. Now, somebody says, well... You left out something. It mentions in the, in the book of Revelation, it mentions angels and harps in heaven. But we're not angels and we're not in heaven. That doesn't apply. Okay. So every reference to mortal humans on earth in the New Testament, worshiping God involves singing, not playing we instruments. We can't find any reference to instrumental music in the New Testament. You might say it to yourself, well, it's just no big deal. God wouldn't care if I add the instrument to my worship to him. How do you answer that objection? It's the, I, I like it. It's not a big deal. God wouldn't care if I added it. Well, I mean, we could do that. I mean, that that. but if we if we start doing that, and I, I say we could do that because that's what a lot of people do religiously. They follow their own preferences. But a question that needs to be answered is if if we're allowed to to change something to our preference, where would we draw the line? You can't. You know, to me, for instance, the Lord's Supper. You know that 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 unleavened bread or that cracker of a thing, that matzo cracker that that we use, and that's kind of dry and tasteless. And to me, I, it'd be a lot tastier if we put some jelly on that. Would you let me you know? I'll let you use. I'll let you add instrumental music because you like that. I like jelly on my bread. What about that? See, if we're going to do one thing, why can't we do something else? Where, where we? And then where we're going to draw the line? You can't draw the line. In fact, 
there is a church in Nashville we've referenced before who has gone as far as bringing in indoor fireworks to their worship services. This is not a joke. They have fireworks during their worship assembly. Only at certain times of the year. But they've added that. Now, <laughs> yeah. if if you say the instrument is not authorized in the Scriptures, I can't read anything about it, but I like it, it's not that big a deal, they can say the same thing about their fireworks during the worship assembly. If you don't like the Roman candles going off, you better not say anything about it if you've got the instrumental music because they have just as much authority for the Roman candles during their worship service or the bottle rockets or whatever they're shooting off that you have for your instruments. Exactly. Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. And the point he was making there is who we're serving. We're we trying to serve men, trying to serve ourselves. Are we doing this to, to make us happy, or are we doing this to serve God? If we're doing it to serve God, which ought to be our motivation, then we should do it the way he said. And he didn't authorize us to use musical instruments. It doesn't matter what we like. It matters what he authorized, what he said to do. And if it's what he said, it's what he wants, our, our worship, as you said, is to please him, not ourselves. It would be very foolish for us to just say, well, we don't have authority for it, but we will do it anyways because it makes us feel a certain way. Who cares, really, yeah. if our worship is directed to God? Let me read from Steve's email. Uh, he says, the passages which command the singing in the New Testament tell us to speak, teach, admonish by singing. Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16. The God-given instrument, the human voice, can do these, but man-made instruments cannot. In fact, they, can't, they detract from our teaching rather than aiding it. Hebrews 13.15 says that we praise God with the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Though not a specific reference to singing, it includes singing. We know that God is pleased by our singing praise to him and teaching one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We know it because he said so. Had he desired that we add other musical devices to this singing, hang on, i got to get to the other part of this message here. Had he desired that we add musical instruments, he would find command, we would find commands and examples in the New Testament books, and there's not even one. That's exactly a good right, question Steve. for us to consider. If you use instrumental music in your worship to God, does God like it? And, and how and, would you know? And how do you know? Are you sure that God likes your your instrumental music in his worship? Does he like it? Does he approve of it? How do you know? You cannot know that God is happy with that. And you need to be careful about adding that because you're doing it without knowing if he likes it or not. Exactly right. Let me let me offer another objection that sometimes raised Jacob. And I think this is one we've got to be prepared to deal with also. Someone says the Bible doesn't say not to. In other words, you you just read all the, or I just read all the verses in the New Testament that talk about music, and they all mention singing, not denying that. But it doesn't say not to play instruments. And so since it doesn't say not to, can't we go ahead and do it? In other words, does the fact that it doesn't say not to give us the freedom to do that? That's an argument that's often made. Well, the Bible doesn't say not to do a lot of different things, Um it, the fact that it doesn't say not to doesn't give us the authority. When God tells us what to do, we need to do it and do it the way that he says to do it. Exactly. Uh, the the um, I think the classic example maybe is, is that of Noah when God told him to build an ark and he specified gopher wood, build the ark of gopher wood. He said, was Noah free to use other woods? God didn't say, God, God did not say, don't use oak, don't use pine, don't use walnut, don't use cherry. But I think everybody acknowledges when he said build the ark of gopher wood, by the fact that he said do that, he excluded anything else. That That's a basic understanding of how we convey command or authority. We, we use that logic all the time. Noah understood it. And we understand it in the case of Noah. Why would we not also understand it here? When God specified... And we, did, we already looked at the New Testament specifications for, for music, and they involve vocal music singing. When God specified that, then he didn't have to say, don't do this, don't do that, don't do something else. Everything else is excluded when that's specified. And, okay. I th- and that, again, that goes, to, that goes to, the, to a study of Bible authority. Uh, recently here uh, at College View in our Sunday morning class, we've been talking about Bible authority, and that's just one of the points we've been making. It doesn't have to say not to. When we have something specified, everything else is excluded.
All right, and what about the argument that this instrument is just an aid to our singing? That we're still singing, but it's an aid and it just makes our singing better. Well, I guess I would answer that, Jacob, by saying it is true that we do use some aids to help our singing. For instance, we use a songbook, and that's an aid to our singing, so that we're all you know, singing the same tune and, and, and voicing the same words. So we might use an aid. We might use a, a pitch pipe, pipe or a tuning fork to get the pitch right, to start the song at, in, the, in the right key and so forth. Those would be aids, but what happens with a songbook or a, or a tuning fork or a pitch pipe, we still end up singing. The act is the same. It's unchanged. We have something that helps us, but, but what we do is sing. But if you add an instrument, then you're doing something different. Now you're singing and playing. You're not just singing anymore. It changes the act, and it's an unauthorized act. And we have to we have to go about it that way. Finally, there's one other argument that people will make, and that is that the Greek word solo means to play an instrument. Yeah, the 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 word uh, is in Ephesians chapter five, verse nineteen. Let me go over there and read that one more time. In Ephesians five, it says, "Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns, spirit and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart." To the Lord, the making melody there is this, the word "solo" uh, in, in the Greek, and uh, some people some people say the Greek word included an implication of instrumental accompaniment to the singing, and that the and, and some who are trying hard to justify it, and this this may be their best effort in an attempt to justify it, say it's in that word. The Greek word solo there in Ephesians 5.19 is the key, that that word suggests the the use of musical accompaniment to the singing. Well, the fact of the matter is no reliable Greek scholar has ever translated the, the word other than to use the word singing to translate that word. You can't find, uh, uh, to my knowledge, and there's dozens of different English translations of the New Testament, to my knowledge there's not any translation of, of the New Testament in English that says to sing with musical accompany. It, it's, in other words, the people who know the language best, the people who know Greek best, did not see that it deserved to be included in that verse, uh, the idea of musical accompaniment. What's interesting, Jacob, is we went, we, we already talked about what they did in the early church. Those people knew the Greek language as their native tongue, and they just sang. The, the scholars of the Greek language today who've translated the Greek New Testament into English did not see fit to include that interpretation in, in, their, in their translations. And so for people who are not qualified as either native speakers of Koine Greek or modern-day scholars of the language – for them to argue that it's in the word when the people who knew the language best didn't think so uh, is Un- unsupported. Yeah, exactly right. And it, the, the passage tells us there again, tells us where the melody is to be made. It doesn't say singing and making melody on a piano, singing and making melody on the church organ. It says singing and making melody in your heart. And that's where the melody needs to be made. We need to make sure we understand that. Exactly right. All right. Well, I think we've had a good discussion tonight. I think it's an important discussion. It's 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 somewhat review, and I think probably a lot of people who are listening to the program tonight have heard these points made before. Some of them we've made before on the virtual Bible study, Jacob, but it's a worthy review, and it deals with a question that came in from one of our listeners who had a legitimate question about it. And if you are listening to this in the archive version and you have questions about what we've said, and if you disagree with what we have said, we would love to hear from you to have a discussion with you on what the Bible teaches about this. Because, as we said, if we're wrong, and if the Scriptures do justify instrumental music, we'll be the first to get the instruments into the worship. We're ready to do that. But we just can't do it by faith because we can't read about it in the New Testament. Exactly right. All right, well, before we end, we need to advertise the Vacation Bible School that is upcoming two weeks from Monday. Yeah, beginning the 15th. It runs Monday night through Friday night, June 15th through 19th here at College View. If you're in the Middle Tennessee area, we sincerely invite you to come and participate. We'll have classes for the younger ages of kids and then from junior high and on up, uh, Steve Walker from Sewanee, Tennessee, will be here to teach us. We're going to be studying some episodes in the life of Jesus, uh, some s- selected episodes in the life of Jesus uh, that, that 
uh, are, are sort of related in a way, uh, will be our theme. And so we invite everybody to come. We we certainly would appreciate you joining with us. We're, we'll do, as we typically do, Lord willing, Jacob, on Thursday night of that week, we'll do the virtual Bible study live right at the end of that. You're going to set up, we'll set up chairs here in this room, yep. and uh, you can be a part of the program live. Exactly right. All right. We hope you make plans to join us for those special services. Thank you for your time tonight, Dan. Thanks, Jacob. And thank you for listening. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.